Hey, Greg. Hey, Andrew. It's February 19th, 2018. What are you into? I'm into Black Panther. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, that thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, we saw Black Panther and we're going to talk about it. Yes, we are. And I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, so I saw it on Friday night. And I think you saw it on Sunday. Saturday. 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 So uh, still pretty fresh for, for all of us. What did you think? Opening thoughts. I mean, I hated it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I I really liked it. I'd say that brief overview, it is objectively a really good movie. As far as an enjoyability level for me and like my interests and likes and desires, I still liked it, but it's not like top three or five Marvel films for me. Mm-hmm. But as a film itself, you know, independent of that, it is really, really good. And I still really enjoyed it. How about you? Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't even, there's just so many Marvel movies. I can't, I can't rank them anymore in my head. Like, which ones are better? Which ones did I like more? Because a lot of times, the one that I saw most recently, like, ends up being my favorite. <laughs> um, I will say that, like, here we are, um, you know, how many days later? It's Monday. I saw it on Friday, and I'm, like, still kind of thinking about it. And, you know, a lot of the visuals are still sticking with me and the um, just kind of the overall feeling and, you know, story. Like, I'm still kind of, you know, chewing on them in the back of my head. And that's usually a mark of a good movie to me um, as opposed, you know, where it just goes beyond like, oh, that was a fun way to spend two and a half hours now. Back to my life as usual. Um, I very much enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's I'm still kind of digesting it, you know, Um but this was a really good movie. Yeah, I I'm still digesting a little bit too, and I'm trying to you know read in some stuff around different different stories online. Obviously, it's a important movie and a big deal in general. Yeah, so let's actually let's let's start there um, for just a little bit of a of a disclaimer. There is no shortage of uh, middle class, upper middle class, educated white dude opinion about black panther going on in the internet right now and um there's a lot going on in black panther and what black panther means to means to people that i mean you and i we, we're not qualified to talk about that and um i think that it's going to be important i think for if you're listening to us and you like kind of this kind of criticism of movies there are definitely um African-American critics and female critics um, who are going to have a lot to say about this movie that we can only kind of blindly grope at. And um, I would highly recommend that, you know, people, you should seek out their their writings on this because, again, it's an angle that I don't think we can honestly cover. I think we have to just kind of be honest about who we are looking at this movie and, um, you know, not pretend that we can, you know, review this movie from a, uh, you know, a cultural lens other than, you know, white comic book and movie nerd <laughs> lens. Right. Yeah. And even, you know, one thing I'll say is that, you know, at the end of the movie, I got a little emotional about it. Yeah. Like, not like the plot itself, but just like the experience. I was in a, you know, a movie theater and it could have been where I was, I wasn't familiar with the area. It was like down near like Hagerstown. Uh, and, you know, just who knows the specifics, but I was in a very, you know, diverse movie theater for once. 
um, <laughs> seeing a mo- comic book movie. Um, not that it's always like, you know, just white people, because a lot of people like superhero movies because they're inspire hope and are fun and the most popular movies in the world, pretty much. But it was a particularly diverse audience. And that was really felt really good. And to hear people's reactions and all varying ages of different kind of people. And then that little speech at the end at the UN, it just made me feel a little bit of hope, which is something I haven't really been feeling a lot lately. <laughs> and I also felt a little bit like guilty for feeling that because I'm like, I don't know, like, is this like, like you said, my lens, this came off really well, but like, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't hear anything negative on the internet about it much. So I was hoping it was coming off well to everybody. Um, especially the groups that this movie is so important to, but I was like, Ooh, I felt a little like guilty or like, am I being selfish or that I think this movie was good. I need to like make sure I'm hearing about what other people are saying about it and how it's affecting them. But from what I've read, it's yeah. been good. Yeah. And I don't want to act like that you and I, we don't have valid, you know, that like we don't have a voice in this conversation. I think I just want to make sure that I'm the, the we're positioning our conversation in the lens of like, this is an incredibly important movie in you know, the kind of ethnic and demographic makeup of America and that it's important that people listen to people who don't look like us (laughs) about what this movie means to them, because um, it's going to be very important to hear those voices as well. And I think that, I mean, I was reading today that this movie is on track to um, be the highest grossing opening weekend of a Marvel movie ever. Um, after years and years and years of us being told, um, that movies with a black lead can't do well because they can't do well overseas and they only do so well in America. And here you have a movie with literally, I think two white people in the whole movie. And it is, I think in the top five opening weekends of all time. Yeah. And a movie that, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I knew from like an academic standpoint that, this was going to be really important. And when the early review star got coming out and saying it was good, I was excited for that. Uh, but I really didn't know what it was going to feel like to watch it. And partially because the movie itself is different, but just, I think even just seeing a movie that was just almost entirely cast with African-Americans, it felt different, right? Like it felt like this is something new, is something different that I'm not used to experiencing. And it felt good. Yeah. And I, I, I think I keep, what I keep coming back to is, and you're right, like there is a different experience, but it's not, but it wasn't exclusionary, Mm-mm. right? Like it wasn't a, you know, um, yes, it, it is a movie with a point of view um, and a movie that embraces its blackness and celebrates its blackness, but in a way that is inclusive. And that's a, it has a different, but it makes me as a, you know, as a, as a white moviegoer, um, feel something that I haven't felt in movies before in much the same way. The comparison I keep coming back to in my head is get out, but in the way that as a white person watching get out, it did an excellent job of making me empathize in a way that before seeing that movie was something where like, yes, I, I can imagine it, but I can't feel it. And, and you know what it feels like to be a black person surrounded by white people who maybe patronizing you and never feeling quite safe, no matter how, um, how much of an ally the white folks around you appear to be, um, get out makes made me as a white guy feel that. And, and again, it's not that it was an issue of like that idea was new to me, but it's one thing to, you know, 
hear the idea, accept the idea, and another to like be put in a position where you can feel it. And I think that gave me a sense of, you know, that that feeling of, you know, this is what it's like to be in these scenarios and what it's like to never feel totally safe, um, you know, in, in that scenario. Um, whereas Black Panther, it made me emotionally feel that, you know, this this sense of, you know, pride that wasn't just a reflection of, um, you know, all of the pride of, you know, Wakanda is not in relation to whiteness, right? It's not oppositional to whiteness. It is totally self-contained and self-assured. And to me, that was such an inspiring feeling that there is, you know, that, that not all identities have to be defined in, um, in relation to whiteness, just like, you know, how feminist film and feminist art often tries to, um, establish an identity of femininity that is not like just an alternative to masculinity, right? Like it is its own singular thing, not some reduced or altered version of a different thing or some opposition to a different thing. Um, it, it's singular and it was, it was, it was legitimately inspiring. I agree. And something that really stood out to me that partially because I read something about it afterwards, it helped to sort of crystallize it for me. So I, I was thinking about it and I couldn't quite place it, but that the way the characters in the movie act are different than white people, American Western culture acts and what we expect to have happen and expect to do in a lot of situations that like the rugged individualism isn't there, this self-serving nature or like spotlight isn't there. And, but it wasn't, like you said, it wasn't put in juxtaposition to someone who is doing that. It was just, it, it, it was what it was and wasn't trying to show you that, you know, aggressively. It was just, this is how it works. Right. Like it could have, it could have gone down the road of like the stereotypical, like bad 90s comic of like white superheroes do this, black superheroes do this, that kind of like dumb, um, again, defining it by opposites, but it was just, it, they managed to carve out this Wakandan identity that, yeah, it just, it didn't need that like comparison. And it would have been very easy for them to use the Martin Freeman character as like, you know, and they, they did this a couple times, but I think it was more like that kind of poking fun at like, you know, you know, like, no, of course we didn't use magic. We used technology, you dumbass. Like, you know, poking fun at the expectations. Right. Um, but they didn't use him as, you know, some kind of like, he's the imbo walking embodiment of all stereotypes about whiteness so that we can then uh, define Wakandan blackness. It was just, you know, I mean, I do think there was a little bit of meta commentary as, oh, well, we've got a token white guy, right? <laughs> like, because, yeah, and you look at, you know, you look at Martin Freeman's character and you're like, yeah, actually, now that you mention it, that is kind of how the, you know, often in a, you know, whiter action movie or sci-fi movie, you've got a black character who is kind of, there's one guy and he's there. And, you know, in the big action set point, he's relegated to doing something relatively unimportant, um, kind of out of the way of the main action. Um, you know, so there was a little bit of commentary there on, you know, that kind of metatextual, like, you know, now you see, more obviously how, you know, black characters in, in other movies are often, you know, relegated. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, it was just amazing. Um, what a, what a great job it did. And I, I mean, I do think that, you know, I did have a, uh, a little pang of the white guilt when, so we have the kind of the setup, you know, the, the pre-credit setup of, you know, giving you the 32nd history of Wakanda vis-a-vis the rest of the world. And then, you know, you, when they, when they, when you kind of see Wakanda for the first time and they've got a big flyover shot and there was a little pang of the white guilt when you think like, yeah, no, uh, if we hadn't gone and completely destroyed this continent over the last 300 years, 400 years, um, this is probably how things would be. And woof. Um, but most of the time it was generally positive. Right. Yeah. And like I said, it, it, I think inspiring is the best word. And I think it, you know, you need to have the movies that make you feel bad, especially us, right? Yeah. The get outs, things like that, (laughs) that are really pointed, but you also need to have the movies that try and look to the future and try and look towards an ideal. But I think it does that. I mean, yes. I mean, it's going to be tough for me as a white guy to watch a movie with a strong, you know, black empowerment and, you know, black liberation message, um, and not feel a little bit of guilt because while I do not, I feel like I am actively an oppressor. I certainly have benefited from a uh, from a system of oppression. Although, I mean, my ancestors oppressed Native Americans. Still bad, all bad. <laughs> um, and we, some of them, were on the wrong side in the Civil War. So, uh, but yes, I have benefited. So I'm always going to feel that guilt. But I think that Black Panther set that up in a way that it wasn't aggressive with its kind of anti-colonial message. I mean, it definitely used that, but it didn't, um, but it was more, it's that showing you what could have been is more inspiring than just chastising you. Yeah, I agree. That's one way to put it. Um, so all that being said, and given in within <laughs> the context of how Greg, what Greg opened with, uh, that we are two white dudes, whose opinion yeah, in case you important. hadn't figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so shall we get down in, in a little more nitty gritty? Yes. Yes. All right. So I have some objective complaints and then some personal complaints. Okay. To get those out of the way first, because there's not many. And I don't want to just go through and just rehash everything we know. Like the cast was great. The list was great. And that was, it, it was a great movie. Um, I thought maybe there were some, some objective complaints of things that don't really bother me as a movie watcher, but I think, could bother other people and from like sort of an objective filmmaking standpoint could have issues. It's like, I mean, there were some pacing issues in the first half. It's a little bit like start and stop for me and a little bit slow at points. Like I said, not really for me personally, because I'm very willing to like, I'm really, I'm very willing to watch setup for at least two hours before we get to the good stuff as a, as see, a movie I, watcher. See, I liked the first hour because it was basically like African James Bond. Like it was beat by beat a James Bond movie. <laughs> yeah. I guess like there's even, I guess yeah, it just felt so. like the the opening and then like the flashback and then this and then like it just seems like we were kind of bouncing over the place a little bit as far as like tone went. But uh, maybe not even the first hour, maybe the first like 45 minutes. But um, like it really didn't bother me, but I can see how some people might not like it. Um, Shay fell asleep because that's what she does, does in movies. But she did wake up and like the second half a great deal. So, <laughs> um, so. The other thing is, like, at some point, I felt that the dialogue felt a little stiff. And, like, sometimes, you know, so much of the spotlight is on Chadwick Boseman, who did a great job. But I feel like sometimes maybe his, the accent he's using almost limits some of his acting range. Is that, Mm. like, just like something he's a little bit, like, 
maybe putting a lot of effort into doing a very good accent, but then like sometimes like it felt like I mean he, he I guess he's sort of supposed to play kind of a stoic character in general, but he's still a lot of charisma and things. I guess it's hard. I'm trying to get at what I'm trying to explain, but so I had I actually had no problems with him, but there was a performance in the movie that really, really kind of, you know, pulled me out of things and um disappointed me. Can you guess who it was? I'm not sure, actually. So I actually, and I went into this, if, if you remember, um, when we were talking about action movies, I was really jazzed on Michael B. Jordan in this movie. Oh, okay. But, um, and I think that his his physical performance, like, he did such an excellent job of just, and some of this is, this, you know, the, the cinematography and the costuming, but, like, just being an incredibly imposing physical presence in that movie um, was amazing. But whenever he opened his mouth to deliver a line, it sounded to me like a, like a 10th grade acting class. Like it was just, oh, I was really disappointed in his like just delivery of the lines. I, I felt like, I'm not sure what it was, if it was just like, and it was actually especially when he would, um, and there's a lot of code switching in this movie. And I think that that's a big part of, you know, some of the subtext, but whenever he would code sweat code switch into more, more of a, like, you know, s- street tough guy kind of slang, it got even worse. Um, and I don't know if it's just, he's uncomfortable with like that kind of, you know, that kind of delivery or what, but I just, every time he talked, it pulled me out of it. Um, and especially like his last line, which was just like so powerful. And like, still like when I think about that last line right before he dies, you know, like I get, I get goosebumps. Um, but even that I was like, Oh man, is that the best take we got on this? I noticed that too. And I didn't, I couldn't really put my finger on it, but yeah, like the Easter egg, like it just sort of felt like I am reading my lines, like really just like aggressively at you at the camera almost, as opposed to the people yeah. around the room. Like, I feel like he didn't really, he had some good delivery and stuff and some good action scenes, but I felt like his interaction with some of the other characters, like just felt like weirdly out of context. And maybe it was some yeah. of the code switching and like the jarring nature, but it just felt like they could have been a little more subtle and it still would have worked. I I also just didn't think he got enough screen time. Yeah. Um, and I don't, yeah, I, I think, and he, because I think a really interesting thing this movie does is, you know, the case that he makes for Wakandan intervention in the rest of the world is not bad. Like, it's kind of, like, you hear it and you're kind of like, yeah, like, that does kind of suck. Um, and... You know, he's not so obvious a villain. Like, his plan isn't like, ooh, and then I'll collect all the vibranium, and then I will be the ruler of the world. Like, he's like, no, I, you know, I want to arm oppressed black people around the world so that they can fight for equality. Um, It's like, I mean, a little bit, you know, maybe a little violent, but not, you know, but the point that, like, Wakanda could be helping and isn't, um like sure and like you know that when the villain has a point in a movie i like that and when you as the audience have to like engage with the villain's idea and pick apart why it's bad because also black panther never goes out of its way to be like the black panther the movie not necessarily the character but never goes out of its way to like force down your throat why he why his idea is wrong um you as a as a viewer have to kind of pick it apart and be like yeah, I mean, but that would be kind of, I mean, that sounds a little like terrorism and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, 
I feel like that kind of gray, moral gray area could have been a lot more powerful if he'd been able to sell those lines a little bit better. Yeah, I would agree. I read a weird quote. I, for some reason, I follow Joseph Gordon-Levitt on uh, Facebook, and he made a post <laughs> that said, you know, how much of the movie and how much he loved Michael B. Jordan. And he said, it's the most sympathetic villain since Heath Ledger's Joker. I'm like, um, sympathetic? Not, I'm not sure I'd call Heath Ledger's Joker all that sympathetic. I mean... I guess if I was a sociopath. Yeah, right. Like, I feel like that's like, he's like, Joker's supposed to be the least sympathetic villain of he's any a, villain. Was, I, I, I think that the Killmonger character is sympathetic. I think maybe the word that Jogo was looking for was charismatic in talking about the Joker, in, you know, right. he calls his Joker. Or powerful but, or iconic or something, but sympathetic right. is not the word. I just thought that was funny, a uh, little side note. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, because I heard so many good things like, oh, this is the best Marvel villain so far, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, ooh, that's great, because like they have a villain problem. And I was like, uh, like, you know, like you said, the the point, the feeling sympathetic, his idea, his motivation was like, yeah, that's good. It's not mustache twirling. It's not whatever. It was good. But it, it like I said, his performance and just like, the screen time and I'm not sure. I just think I I think I could have stood to stood to see more of him in the first half. And yeah. I, I know Circus was sort of taking that role, and that was a weird ass performance. But I kind of oh man, it. oh I was I was just I was I loved Andy Circus's performance. Like he's on the screen for like 45 seconds <laughs> the whole movie, but man, that character is just like so. He makes uh, Andy Circus. I think is incredibly underrated as an actor and i think that if he didn't you know if he wasn't doing motion capture he'd have several academy awards under his belt by now but um he made so much of such little screen time and such a clearly defined character like you feel like you know in just those few short scenes that he's in i'm like i can see this guy's entire like backstory and like you could almost i mean and you can almost smell him on the screen like that's how real that character felt maybe not real in like a believable you'd meet this guy on the street but like fully developed and you know three-dimensional character uh unbelievable i really enjoyed that character it was so much fun to watch i'm i'm really bummed that he died he died because yeah once again marvel keeps killing all its fun villains and it's like he he's a perfect b or c level villain that like could just keep showing up in movies and just be like ah you get me give me next time avengers and like you know right. whatever away like i just felt like ah did you have to i mean like in the sense of the story in the, the context of the story in the movie it made sense but i just yeah as a broader mcu kind of thing i just like ah man i just he's so fun and like uh i'm usually like, i'm usually I'm usually anti prequels, but I would definitely watch a claw prequel. <laughs> I, mean, that I guess, dude you, was I guess just... that's Age of Ultron, right? But no, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, another 10 seconds of on screen time right. for him. That's the thing. I just, I like, I would like them to better use the B and C villains as like reoccurring characters to help. Yes. Uh, give us some like, you know, continuity, but without having to like shoehorn bigger things into it. Just like, oh yeah, this guy is in this world and sometimes he yeah. comes across. It was interesting to see um director said that he originally wanted to use Craven in the movie and he got told he yeah. couldn't. And I was like, oh, that would have been cool. Yeah. But so, yeah, I mean, I, I do agree that I, I wanted more from Michael B. Jordan, especially after all the buildup and uh, such a good character concept and execution just wasn't there for me. Yeah. My other big complaint was that some of the action was amazing. Other times it got a little bit shaky camera, a little bit 
or the opposite of that where like the fighting was like soup i don't know how to describe it but like soft or like disconnected uh-huh just like that can come from like over cgi so sometimes yep. it's just like it just seems like people are kind of floating around there's not really impacts i'm not really feeling much that wasn't the whole movie but like it almost seems like different action scenes were directed by different people because some were just radically different from the last but yeah i think the um i think the climactic battle was probably a little bit too cartoony i think that might be you know um it had that kind of weightless consequenceless feeling um and the, the even the showdown between black panther and killmonger at the end was a little bit just felt a little soft a little toothless um i think the fight in the casino was really well done um the the car chase was pretty awesome yeah um they did a pretty good job there um and again like just the feeling of like they did such a i mean like the first half of the movie is you know african james bond like Beat for beat, you know, they've got the scene where he, you know, gets introduced to all his new gadgets and then there's a big car chase. But then like the car chase is where the movie shifts from being a James Bond movie to being a superhero movie. And they, you know, they, they make that change like so apparent when it's like he's surfing on top of the car and oh man, it was good. And I also, I mean, there's something else about that action scene too that I really that I think is emblematic of the whole movie and that it's a superhero movie, but it, it might be one of the first superhero movies where I feel like Black Panther and T'Challa, like, even though it's like, yeah, I'm the big hero, I'm the king, but like how much he relies on his kind of like support team um, and how important they are to not only him personally, but just like, you know, the events of the, of the, of the movie. And I, I, his general, I can't remember her name. Um, Akoya. But Akoya, she, um, like, she's obviously a much better fighter than him. Yeah. And, you know, um, his sister Shuri is, you know, clearly has a much better handle on all the science and all the tech. And, you know, he has a role to play, but you do get the sense that, like, part of it is ceremonial and part of it is he is a figurehead and relies on these other people around him um to make decisions and to get things done and i i think that the the action scene you know kind of sketched that out and then you just saw that play out throughout the whole movie it was great yeah i really liked for the most part i really liked leticia wrights who had played sherry his sister um mm -hmm. her performance there was times where it felt like and this is like a little bit of the james bondness where like it sort of felt like i was listening to a video game like <laughs> you're doing this to do this press b to jump and it's like okay um which leads to another complaint i had which is like i feel like they just gave i feel like the whole absorbing kinetic energy to like redirect it thing was just like a really unnecessary i agree addition like black panther's already bulletproof and has some cool gadgets and super strong and like to give him this other sort of like even though i get how it relates to how vibranium works and things since it kind of interacts with motion and energy weirdly but i just was kind of like ah, like i just didn't really need that and then even to that point too like i just felt like wakanda was be like a little too strong like they just had the answer to everything in tech which is like cool but also like the stakes felt a little low because like and then when anybody, anybody died i'm like well can't you just throw one of those things in them and then go heal them like yeah i there was a little too much of you know some of the technology got a little too magical 
Um, and I would have liked to have actually seen, you know, because there, there's a lot of like, I think they did a, a good job in the first chunk of the movie kind of balancing the technological aspects of Wakanda with the more spiritual and mystical aspects. Um, and I would have liked to have seen the mystical aspects play a bigger role in the conclusion rather than just kind of be a device for, you know, unpacking Killmonger's past and motivations. Like, um, you know, and then to give T'Challa a, a, a chance to, you know, talk through his moral dilemma with his dad. Like, I don't know. I just feel like that that spiritual element was so interesting and so kind of new to the Marvel Universe that I would have liked to have seen that, like, deliver a little bit more at the end, you know? Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I felt that every time they went to, you know, the home of the ancestors, or I don't know what it's called, different plane, uh, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this yeah. is cool. I like the Panthers, and they turn into people. Like, because whenever, whenever I've read the brief interactions of Black Panther, like there's always a little bit of that in there and like that callback to a more, a different kind of religion and worldview than we're used to. And mm -hmm. I, I really wish they would have done more of that in the second half as well. Yeah. But that's a minor complaint. Oh yeah. I mean, it's one of those things like I, I only had these little minor things because everything else was just really awesome and really well done. So yeah, I mean, this movie had a little bit of everything for everybody in it. You know, you had, I did enjoy that the fight scene was like different, even though it was a little cartoony at the end, like, not so much between Killmonger and Black Panther, but between everybody else. It was just like, it was, yeah. in, it was light out and like, it was like almost like a pitched battle. And it was like, not just like destruction everywhere and blah, blah. It was just like, I don't know, felt a little fun, a little different. Yeah. And actually seeing like, just like seeing like, you know, like the, the other guys with their, with like their cloak shields. I'm like, that's cool. That's neat. Like, that's just like a cool little bit of like Afrofuturist tech. Like, I like that. That's interesting. Um, and then, you know, the, you know, the cyber rhino or whatever, kind of cool, a little cartoony, but cool. Um, and yeah, like you say, like it's light out and, um, there's clearly more at stake than just like two armored super beings crashing into each other. Right. Like there's characters we care about who are like on opposite sides of a battle and, um, they're they're more than just you know faceless goons who are going to get blown up when uh you know when they unleash the energy blast um it was it was very well done i think um yeah yeah and the stakes were different you know it wasn't like a hole in the sky or city in the sky or whatever it was like you know this is going to cause chaos in the world but not be like an instant end of the world or, or whatnot right 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 um and it was as much about like protecting Wakanda and what Wakanda means as it was about present preventing these weapons from, you know, falling into the wrong hands. Because if you think about it, like if the, the bad guy's plan had succeeded, you know, this would have been the first real contact of Wakanda with the outside world. Right. And it is as, it is as arms dealers. Right. Um, and I think that what ends up being kind of the thesis of the movie, you know, the, the conflict between, T'Challa and King, uh, King, T'Challa and Killmonger is, you know, essentially the, the point is like Wakanda has to, has a duty to help the outside world. Um, and Killmonger wants to do it through essentially through destruction, um, by helping, you know, by Wakanda, making Wakanda a force for destruction. Whereas T'Challa, you know, reveals that his plan is to use it as a source to lift people up 
by bringing the technology out and by educating people and by you know giving people better places to live and those sorts of things. It's a creative force as opposed to a destructive force. And that, you know, it delivered on an idea, which superhero movies often have such a hard time doing. <laughs> like it has a point of view on, you know, how do we move forward as a culture, you know, solving these great inequalities? Is it through destruction or is it through um, creation? Like, hey, what do you know? A point of view that you articulated by <laughs> cartoons fighting each other. I'm well done, guys. To your point last week, Greg. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, the the thesis is, you know, the the privileged have a duty to help the underprivileged, and um, that's why I felt it's a good message and it inspired me. So, do you have any other things about Black Panther in general? I want to keep talking about this, but I want, I want to talk about the greater context and looking forward because you know, with the superhero movies, we we, we can only spend about half hour talking about one before we have to come out the next one, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah okay so any final thoughts on black panther um uh i could i could watch an mbaku movie could you yeah yeah that was cool i liked his character yeah. a lot the, he was i like the context of down there's just a lot to like about his character and i i'm because typically he's a villain but yeah i don't know well and the fact that like he, he when you're first introduced to him you know he's just this brutish like um, I don't like you, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, what a jerk. And then later on, as the movie like develops its themes about like how like, yeah, Wakanda kind of has been like um, hoarding their technology and has kind of been jerks about it. And you're like, well, maybe that guy had a point back at the beginning. Right. And then they show up and, you know, they show up to his, his castle and he's kind of like a fun guy. Um, yeah, that was good. It was a good twist. And just that, like how much the traditions and their culture matters to them because mm -hmm. it was a little jarring. It's like, Oh, why doesn't Mbako just smack, you know, black Panther in the head when they found him? Because now, but he's like, well, he won, he beat me. Like, that's how this all works. And yeah, you know, I took my lick and I went back and I'm not going to overthrow the whole kingdom for it. Just like, you know, the, just like, uh, Okoya's character, you know, was like, I serve the throne and I'm lawful, I'm lawful, neutral. Like, I don't know what yeah. you want for me. Like, this is my alignment. You're, you're the DM serve me alignment check. And I'm here to tell you it's lawful, neutral. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, triple nerd. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, I, I have, I have nothing but positive things to say about black Panther. Um, other than those little quibbles of, I mean, it's a, it's a movie. It's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be technical problems and blah, 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 blah. But generally the movie has a point of view. It articulates that point of view and shows you awesome shit while it's doing it. And then really makes you feel things throughout the process. It makes you think and it makes you feel, and it shows you cool shit. And, um, and it proved a lot of dumb, dumb Hollywood, uh, assumptions about race, uh, wrong. So, a plus yeah i'm definitely gonna go see it again and because I, I definitely i was in the best seat and the theater i was in was a little older so the sound was not that good so i kind of want to go and, and get a better better shot at it but uh that's what movie passes for right i guess yeah just gotta find time to do it god um so i want to talk about moving forward a little bit so we didn't see the soul gem in this movie yeah the good last point. the last infinity stone which a lot of people expected to and it would make sense to there's still a lot of theorizing that the soul gem is in Wakanda because we see that a bunch of Infinity War takes place in Wakanda, which 
side note, is awesome because Wakanda is a really cool place and visually stunning and amazing. And I was reading a little bit about how both Infinity War and Black Panther were filming at the same time in Atlanta. And the creative teams were going, they're two different creative teams, but they were going back and forth between, and the actors and the directors were going back and forth between the sets to make sure that everything felt similar and that everything worked the same. So let's quickly, just so to remind everybody, because Marvel homework sucks, uh, the Infinity Gems are what power Thanos, who's the purple guy in the recent uh, uh, Avengers trailers. He's assembling the Infinity Gauntlet, which contains all six Infinity Gems. And we have been introduced to other Infinity Gems at various points in other Marvel movies, whether or not we've necessarily called them Infinity Gems, more often than not, the magical mystical MacGuffin that they're chasing down in the movies is one of the Infinity Gems. And the Soul Gem is the only one that hasn't shown up yet in the Marvel Universe. Thanks for the background. Yes. Uh, sometimes I forget that I'm not talking to super nerds all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we believe from the trailers and everything we have to this point that the next Avengers movie and probably one after that are focusing all around conflict over these stones, which Thanos can put together an Infinity Gauntlet and basically be a god, a true yes. god, not a, not a Thor god. Like, all powerful. All powerful. And each gem does something different. And like I said, Greg said, the, the soul gem is the one we haven't seen yet. The soul gem uh, is kind of the more ambiguous, amorphous, mystical one that has to do with people's souls. And uh, so a lot of people assume that because of two things. One is that we see Wakanda as a major set piece in the upcoming Infinity War movie from the trailers. Seems like that's where Cap and Hulk and all the, the crew are hanging out down there, which is cool. And like I said, all those people hanging out, make sure it's going to be a very smooth transition. I like revisiting places we've built up, especially Wakanda. We would assume that they're fighting there for a reason. The reason being that we think, you know, Thanos has come to try and get the gem from Wakanda because they have it. Uh, I sort of thought that might be might be in the vibranium asteroid that hit, which is, there, it's just like, you know, deep in the mine somewhere. And that's part of what gives Vibranium's power, but also is what gives the special flower, which I'm forgetting the name of, uh, in this movie, which is lets them to commune with their ancestors, aka their ancestor souls or something along those lines. But so expecting to have some, you know, credit tease or just have it just sitting somewhere and they know what it is or just know it gives them power. But there was none of that. And, you know, I read a little article from the director who said that, you know, he didn't want to include anything and wasn't part of the plan. Uh, now, it doesn't mean it's not there, but just that he didn't want to pull you out from this movie too much. Right. Which I think was the right choice. Yeah. I mean, I think if it was in a post credit scene, it would have been fine, but not not being in the main crux of the movie was was good. I also have interesting, I'm interested to see, and obviously a lot could change after Infinity War, who knows what the hell's going to happen, but, you know, Wakanda's, I mean, their tech is intense, right? I mean, it's powerful stuff. Change the world kind of stuff. And now they're saying at the end of the movie that, you know, T'Challa said he's going to share it with the world. I wonder if we're going to see that play out or if they're going to conveniently have something happen or kind of ignore that that ever happened because that would dramatically, it would sort of upset the balance of making, you know, the world seem like our world because now all of a sudden they have vibranium and can heal things and maybe it's limited supply and all that, which is fine. But So I, I think that's how they get there is that... The argument is, is so much of their technology is based on vibranium and there is, like you say, a limited supply of vibranium. I wouldn't be surprised if we see that, you know, almost all the vibranium gets destroyed in Infinity War. That's a good theory. Uh, I would I would think it's probably what will happen uh, in the fight for probably the soldier. Mm -hmm. 
So, but I'm excited to see, um, you know, the fact that basically every character from this movie is going to be in Infinity War, which is awesome. <laughs> because, you know, there's just a lot of really good characters. And yeah, I just, they really did a good job at balancing that. I wasn't sure. You know, they had so many good, good casting choices. And especially that the, the female actors, actresses did such a good job. And I'm excited that they're all going to be in the next movie because we get to see more of them before yeah. the inevitable Black Panther 2. Yeah, I'm much more excited to see uh, these characters again than I am to see Captain America again. Or ugh, in that that post credit scene with Bucky, I'm like, I've seen too much of this guy. I don't care. <laughs> Let's thought, move on, please. Yeah, I thought that the you know it was fine. Uh, it was good. They, I think they had to address because he was there, and you know, sure, but. I'm glad that I'm once again. I'm glad they relegated it to a post credit scene. That's what those are there for. Yeah. So yeah, but I'm excited for like an update update to the status quo, and we'll see how that pans out leading up to Infinity War. Yeah, and I'm 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 excited to see kind of post Infinity War, right? Because we know that we're coming up on some kind of reset for the Marvel universe, or at least a passing of the torch, because we know that Hemsworth's contract is up, and we know that a bunch of our favorite characters are basically going to die or get retired in this last two part infinity thing. Um, and I would really like it not only for the kind of meta textual symbolism of it, but also because I think he's a great character and a great actor. If T'Challa kind of became the new, um, Tony Stark, kind of the central heart of the, of the, um, cinematic universe. Like if, you know, He's the big character. I mean, maybe Tony Stark or Captain America, depending on who you ask. But like, you know, he's the center of gravity of the whole thing. And um, not only narratively, but also like um, kind of metatextually, that would make me very happy. Because I think that not only is it important culturally, but like he's the strongest of all the newer characters that have been coming in, like um, Guardians of the Galaxy, feeling kind of like newer characters in the mix. Tom Holland's Spider-Man coming into the mix. So far, um, Black Panther is easily the strongest, I think. Yeah, I think we'll see. I, I assume, you know, after these next two Avengers movies, we'll see, you know, Guardians go back into space. I think we'll see the main heroes retired or dead or whatever. I think that, you know, we'll see a new, a new team. We've got Black Panther. I do agree that I think he'd be a good person because, you know, He's got a lot of resources, kind of like Tony Stark provides the logistics for the team, and so does he, but also the leadership. He's yeah. a great leader. He's a king. Also, I think we'll see, with the addition of some new characters who come down the road, like Captain Marvel. She, she'll be the new Thor of the group. Mm -hmm. Bucky mm -hmm. will probably be the new Cap. Ugh, I'm tired of that guy. But, um, I mean, he signed on for like 12 movies or something ridiculous like that. So Because well, he's only in four minutes of each one. Yeah. And every scene feels like it takes an hour with that guy. <laughs> Sorry, um, guys. Yeah, we'll see Spider-Man a lot. So I'd be curious to see what the the new new Avengers team. I, I mean, I don't know if Vision's making it through this movie. I like Dex. I like Vision, but he's also really strong. Um, I'm okay with the current iteration of Scarlet Witch. Once again, well, a little weird, but they're gonna take away the they're gonna take away Vision's gem, and then they'll they'll depower him and just turn him into a you know a, a weirdo. <laughs> but yeah, Rather so I mean, we'll, we'll see what God. happens with the with the group. But I do agree that I think Black Panther as an anchor for the the team would be. Um, a foundation would be would be really good. So, in summary, go see Black Panther if you haven't. Although, if you have, sorry for spoiling the whole movie for you. 
Wait, no, if they have seen it, we haven't spoiled anything. Yeah, if you haven't. And if they have not seen the movie, they shouldn't be listening to a dumb podcast that's clearly a Black Panther review. What's wrong with you people? Crazy. Turn it off right now. Actually, now you can keep listening because we're not going to talk about this anymore. <laughs> Hit yourself in the head really hard so you forget the last hour. <laughs> uh, so we, we decided we wanted to you know do a review, but then also maybe there's been a couple of big news pieces that have come out the past month or two that we've been kind of sitting on and want to talk about a little bit. I'm sure Greg's going to be very like calm and reasonable and like excited <laughs> about all of them. That's how he handles them. So we'll start with the big one that he, he's very excited about. Greg, how much Star Wars is too much Star Wars? About how much we have right now. <laughs> That's about how much is too much. Um, I'm already Star Wars exhausted just watching the Solo trailer. Um, I don't think that movie looks good. I'm so, Not only do I not think the movie, I mean, looks good, I've been saying all along that I don't think a Han Solo movie is at all necessary or interesting or possible to do right, but this just... Uh, it just doesn't look good. They should have just made a Lando movie because Lando looks cool, but the rest of it does not. Um, and I'm just, I just feel the fatigue. And I loved Last Jedi so much. And it got me thinking about Star Wars again and fascinated by Star Wars again. And now I'm just, now it just seems like, hey, you want to watch more Star Wars? You want to watch more Star Wars? I'm like, no, I want to watch episode nine. Can you guys just lay low for a while till then? But apparently not. Apparently not, because we have been given three announcements. Well, the one we knew that Ryan Johnson is getting his own non-main Skywalker-based trilogy. I guess we can't even really call it that anymore, which is good. Uh, or is it? I don't know. Um Brian Johnson is getting his own Star Wars trilogy set someplace else unconnected to the main story, the main episodes. Since then, we've also got an announcement that our beloved Game of Thrones showrunners are also getting their own Star Wars series. So that's, uh, is it uh, Damon Lindelof and D.B. Weiss? Is that right? Yeah. Those, whatever. D&D, we call them. Everyone yeah. calls them D&D. Uh, yeah, they're getting their own, which is also unrelated to the main story, but also unrelated and separate from Ryan Johnson's trilogy. Yes. And we're <laughs> an announcement that we've known for a while that this that been, kind of had a Star Wars Star Wars live action TV show in the works for a while. But now right. I've been given that, you know, the, the Disney streaming services coming down the pipe and they're developing multiple Star Wars TV shows for that platform. Now, all of this just makes me want to take a big nap just talking about it. But... Um, I do have to say, just in the interest of fairness, that developing a TV series, all that really means is that you're paying some people to hash out the idea. Um, so just like they are developing multiple Game of Thrones spinoffs, they don't plan to make all of them. They just plan to, we've got five or six ideas, so we got a team together to develop those ideas to see which ones can go somewhere, Right. Um, so it's possible that when Disney says we're developing multiple Star Wars television shows, all that could mean is we've got a bunch of ideas that we are actively pursuing, not necessarily saying we want to have five shows on the air in 2020. So that might be what they're saying, but honestly, holy shit, you guys. So far, we know we have every other year. Around Christmas time, we are going to be getting a numbered Star Wars episode that continues the saga that, uh, you know, episodes 
one, two, and three, four, five, and six, seven, eight, and I. Like, we're going to get continue that story. Whether or not we call it the Skywalker saga or not is up in the air because it seems like after Last Jedi, the Skywalker family may not be as important as they seemed. We'll see. But that saga is going to be ongoing every two years. And then they haven't said anything that they're going to stop doing the Star Wars stories, movies like Rogue One or like Solo or like the inevitable Boba Fett, Boba Fett garbage fire. Um, those are going to be happening. And those are on the odd years, right? If, if your main saga is on the even years, your stories are in the odd years. And then we've got these two other trilogies that are happening. I mean, we're going to be getting three or four Star Wars movies a year, plus at least one television show, plus at least one cartoon. Holy shit. Not to mention the continued expansion of the books and comics and all that. I do. Yeah, wonder, I don't believe in any of that. <laughs> I do wonder. I mean, I am curious to see what model they're going to follow, because obviously a Disney executive is sitting in their money line chair and money lined office going, hmm, we're bringing out three Marvel movies a year. And that seems to be working really well. So why not just do that for Star Wars? Oh, it definitely seems like they're they're following the Marvel model of, you know, Throw a bunch of them out there at various budget levels. Some are kind of targeted at different audiences, and then every other year you've every other year you've got a big tentpole movie, um, and then you've got a whole slew of TV shows because it's not just the Netflix shows. I mean, you've got you've got Agents of Shield and um, Runaways and Runaways, and I don't know how they're connected to like the Legion or New Mutant. All New Mutants isn't um, the Gifted. You know, I don't know how they're connected, but still, these are all Marvel properties that are all going on. Um, and that is clearly what they're trying to do with Star Wars. And like most things, Star Wars, I am not into this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe ditch the stories and just yeah. do. But they still are going to have to bring out more than one a year because they're not going to wait. Because let's say they bring out, you know, let's say next year they start doing this. Say next year, 19 is, is episode nine. And then 20 is Ryan Johnson's first trilogy. When they're going to go back to episode 10 and then go to D&D's first episode. Like, they're not going to wait four or five years between next right. iteration of a trilogy or a series. That's just way too long. So, yeah, I think we're getting, I think we're going to be seeing potentially two. Maybe they're trying to test this May time slot to see what happens. Although, Solo coming out two weeks I forget it's before after Infinity War seems questionable to me, but everyone's going to see it anyway. So this really doesn't matter. No, but we're not going to go. I'm not going to go see it. <laughs> you're going to have to, Greg, because we're going to have to talk about it. Ugh. Sorry, buddy. Ugh. Uh, but yeah, so I, I do. I mean, as a Star Wars fanatic, part of me says, ooh, Star Wars. But I was like, I just let the expanded universe, the new one, if they really want to explain away everything, do it there. I mean, you've got a lot of room to work in, probably more room than any other universe or franchise we've ever had. It's not like with Marvel, you've got like, well, Earth, and then you've got some spacey people, but you don't want to do too much in space because it still needs to be grounded with Earth heroes at some point. At least you can go backwards or forwards in time across a whole galaxy. Is there good stories to tell? Probably. Are they going to tell good stories? I don't know. And I, I will say this, that... One thing that this model has going for it that the Marvel model doesn't, because it sounds like that these other additional trilogies are completely unrelated to the main saga, 
that if all I care about are the numbered episodes, I can ignore the other ones and not feel like I'm missing something in the way that the Marvel movies, a lot of times it's like, oh man, if you don't go see Black Panther, you're going to be a little lost when Infinity War comes on, you know, that kind of, or, you know, by the time, you know, when I'm getting ready to see Infinity War in May, I have that gnawing feeling in the back of my head, like, shit, do I need to go watch those Ant-Man movies now? Like, Star Wars, it sounds like this model, it doesn't have that same, like, it's all interconnected, and if you're not watching all of them, you're missing out on, on you know, all of the references and stuff. It's more like, just like, no, I'm, episode nine is going to pick up where episode eight left off, and we just keep going. Just like Rogue One, there was n- Rogue nothing serious in episode uh, eight paid off on anything from Rogue One. It's like you could you could skip Rogue One and not miss a, not miss a beat. So I like that a little more, but I just it does it just I'm exhausted by it now. I'm exhausted by Star Wars. Yeah, I mean a lot of people. I think I was listening to Hello Internet and those guys have opinions about Star Wars. Are usually not a big fan of the most recent movies, but just that you know the adjustment of the expectation that like Star Wars isn't an event anymore. It's just another yeah. movie, right? Yeah. So that's going to be, even for me, it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, like, new Star Wars movie still feels like, well, like, you get those goosebumps when the fanfare comes on, and now it's just like, hmm, I'm not probably going to get that so much. Just like, yeah. I don't think that, you know, they seem to be doing a decent job um, overall. Hopefully they can continue that. I mean, Disney doesn't seem to mess up too often, but it is a lot. And having the potential for three Marvel and three Star Wars movies a year and you know that those numbers are going to go up when the Fox deal settles because we're going to be getting X-Men and, you know, who knows what the hell Sony's doing. But, like, they're, they're probably going to step up their Marvel output even more when they have all of the X-Men universe to deal with as well. We're going so. to have to set up a Patreon to pay for all these fucking movie tickets. We're going to have to see just to be able to review these things. Movie pass, man. Get on it. <laughs> I'm going to have to. Yeah. Uh, so... But well, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see where you know, as details come out, what their what their initial ideas are. I mean, I don't know if they're going to release anything ahead of time, but like, what are their ideas for the shows? You know, what are their ideas for these other trilogies? Are going to set it, you know, way back in the Old Republic, or you know, I, I just I'm just curious because as you all know from the old EU episode, I have ideas of places they could go and pull some things that already exist, but who knows? A new episode one through three. There just you go. do it. Just do it. Declare declare the Lucas prequels non-canon and try again. <laughs> We've got Gray's got a nice outline for you, ready to go. <laughs> yeah. I'll sell it to you for five hundred dollars. <laughs> so in other space related news, uh-huh. But actual real space related news, did you watch the SpaceX Heavy Falcon launch? I, I did not. Are you do you follow any of this sort of stuff? I do not. Okay. I just wanted to bring it up. I'm not like a huge like every press release watching Elon Musk get up there and talk about how much he's Tony Stark and whatever. But I did watch this because it seemed cool when I was at work and I had a couple, I had an hour that wasn't a lot going on. So I watched the live stream of the launch and it was pretty cool. Uh, did you watch any of the clips or anything that, that came out or videos? There's a, a really cool clip of, you know, the rocket takes off obviously. And then the two boosters come down and land simultaneously next to each hmm. other, like a couple hundred feet away from one another, like at the same exact time. And it was just like, that is some movie-ass shit right there. <laughs> uh, and just the whole, like, putting the car on the top. And it got me really, you know, even more, you know, I've been on a big fantasy kick for a long time. And I can't even tell you what the hell genre 
Street, Street, uh, Street Station is right now, but um, <laughs> there was some bonker stuff going down. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. But it got me like, ooh, I need to do more space stuff because we're on the cusp of some really cool space things. I mean, people get a little bit ahead of themselves, like, oh, we're going to go to Mars in four years. And it's like, sure, we are. We've been hearing that for 20 years. But there is some really interesting stuff happening. And I wonder if we're going to get more the way it relates to us directly is I just think there's a lot of science fiction stuff coming out right now, like big stuff, altered carbon and, uh, you know, these kind of things that are on right now. And I think that things like this are going to keep putting focus in the genre area on space stuff, sci-fi stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I am excited by the idea that we as humans are trying to do bigger and better things than we've done before. And, you know, that there is something very romantic and inspiring about this kind of new private space race that's going on. I'm a little bit, no, I'm a lot bit disappointed that it is private. I kind of feel like this is something we should be doing together as a, as a species or as a people. Um, not only because there's something symbolic about that for me, but also because, I mean, one of the great things about the space race the initial, the original space race, is all of the technological advancements that filtered down into civilian use. Um, you know, that that this idea of getting to the moon to beat the Russians for some reason, like, ended up in just a lot of, like, it just kind of flaked off all of this great technology because we were working so hard and developing all these things that ended up improving a lot of lives and, you know, for everyone else. Um, and since it was all, you know, government funded, you know, that stuff was kind of for everyone to a certain extent. Whereas now it's like anything Elon Musk develops. And I know that he's got his like, oh, it's all some of the stuff he does is free and open source, et cetera, et cetera. That's cool. Um, but the fact that it is private and it is commercial just feels like, well, if somebody can find a way to make money on this, they're going to make money on this rather than, you know, necessarily, you know, you know, we wouldn't have cameras in our phones if it wasn't for the space program. Like the technology to develop those lenses came out of the space program and came out of spy satellites. And, um, you know, or the technologies that are going into developing SpaceX, are those things that are going to trickle down to the rest of us? I don't know. Um, I am excited about Elon Musk and those types in their more terrestrial pursuits. Like I think Hyperloop is very, very exciting. Because a, you know, futuristic mass transit system um, in America could really, really change a lot of things for us overnight um, in terms of the economy and how people spend their leisure time and, you know, potentially um, environmental aspects as well. And then, you know, the Tesla semi is very exciting because, you know, as we move to a autonomous and zero emissions uh, logistics fleet in America. Obviously, it's a lot of people who are out of jobs, not just people who drive trucks, but people who work at truck stops uh, and all of the other businesses that support that logistics industry. Um, we're going to have to have a solution for those folks, but that's going to mean so much for highway safety and for the environment and the speed at which business is done, like that's all very, very exciting stuff. For me, a little bit more exciting than the space stuff because, you know, I kind of feel like, yeah, it would be cool to get to Mars, but what are we going to do there? <laughs> I mean. Yeah. More tangible benefits in your lifetime yeah. for sure. I do think wow. there are some really cool things that would be like disruptive 
if we get into asteroid mining, that'd be something that I think, and there's, I read an article about how I didn't understand all the math and things behind it, but just that like the success of Falcon Heavy and potential success for the, uh, the next one they're doing called the, what's it called? BFR, uh, which is, I hope it stands for big fucking rocket. He said it does. Good, good. I mean, he said if he has to put on a press release, it's going to stand for Big Falcon Rocket, but he said internally it's Big Fucking Rocket. Cool. And it will dwarf these even more, which these are already the biggest ones readily available right now. There's a bigger one coming from a different one of the other space companies, like maybe a public funded space company, but um, in Europe, I think. But uh, that like this just opened up the amount of asteroids we can feasibly reach and like get to in orbit because of whatever reasons that like by like 30 or 40 percent and it's mm. like those things have crazy amounts of really really rare resources that could like dramatically change you know you said technology in the future for us and things like that like a whole asteroid of platinum and it's like that really changes a lot of things right because like we use platinum for some things that are very expensive and hard to do and not just rings or whatever <laughs> but or like asteroids full of water that you know we might need more of in the coming future as uh we tend to fuck it up so yeah i, I think that like just that it is weird that it's weird. I feel like there's a good sci-fi story of like, there's two good sci-fi stories of like, just take earth, but in like 40 years and just like, what has Elon Musk done? And either he turns out to be like, you know, as reasonable and decent a guy as he's coming, as he's kind of coming across now, or like just turns into Lex Luthor and like, it can go either way. (laughs) Exactly. And I don't think there's a middle ground there. Like he is either, yeah, he's either Tony Stark or he's Lex Luthor. And we don't know yet. Because, yeah, if he finds a way to mine an asteroid, he could come back and say, um, uh, you know, I found all this, uh, you know, um, platinum or, or, you know, some other rare element that we use to make smartphones. um, And uh, I'm giving it away, you know. Or he could come down and be like, ha, 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 I've cornered the platinum market, you know, (laughs) like – I don't know what's going to happen. And he could very easily be a Philip K. Dick villain, or he could be, um, you know, uh, he could be the, the, the person who, you know, solves a resource scarcity problem, you know, yeah. in one fell swoop. I, I don't know how it's going to be. And I think we're all just kind of waiting for him to make the heel turn, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, there are things that he's doing that are like, I mean, he's, he's planning to launch all, I think it's like up to 8,000 satellites that will, cover the entire world in wi-fi yeah sure and definitely not be lasers <laughs> like no i mean really like yeah. you look at him and his plans and like there are so many james bond movies where there is a villain like him he's this billionaire eccentric that everybody loves because he gave he he, he made this great product that now everybody has and then he presses a button and turns everybody's cell phone into a bomb like this is we've seen this before james bond has warned us about guys like this <laughs> it's true um but i do think that for our purposes it's going to inspire a lot of science fiction uh especially in like the near sci-fi world you know thinking okay what this has happened today what does this look like in 30 years because of this and yeah. that, that's always good for us uh so do we move on to something completely different yeah i know what it is casting news is always one of those things it's like ah you know it could happen it might not happen but there's been one that's been in the news a lot and it's all about batman greg's favorite character and yeah. his favorite production studio currently yeah and 
it's been running for a little bit that there's been a new Batman because eh, it sounds like Ben Affleck doesn't really want to be Batman and that maybe DC doesn't really want Ben Affleck to be Batman either. And that he's that everyone's just kind of trying to find a way to just get that contract out of the out of the works. And for a while, people were pointing to like different actors as ideas. But it's basically come out that if Ben Affleck steps down as Batman, when, when, when <laughs> it will most likely be Jake Gyllenhaal as uh, Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Followed by more recently news that everyone's favorite method actor, Joaquin Phoenix, is in talks to play. The Joker. Yeah, in, t- in talks to play the Joker in that weird Todd Phillips Joker prequel that may or may not be connected to the larger DC movie universe, the one that Scorsese's producing. Yeah, ew. Um, all right, I mean, I said this before, we were all on Facebook kind of talking about this Jake Gyllenhaal news, and I, I, I said it there, and I'll say it again. They could create a technology that opens a portal to a reality where Batman is real. And they could bring the real Bruce Wayne through across dimensions to play himself in the next DC Cinematic Universe Batman movie. And it would only get 4% better. Like, this, these things are so fundamentally broken. There is no casting change that is going to make these movies worthwhile. I mean, it's like McDonald's saying, like, we've got new napkins. Come eat a healthy lunch with us. Like, it's just... <laughs> There is so much more wrong with this than the person playing Batman. I do not think Ben Affleck is a good Bruce Wayne or a good Batman, but that is not the central problem here. No. And I also don't, I don't love this. And it's not really recent, but it is partially sparked by Nolan. Just that this idea that like the Joker has turned into this, like, I don't know what the terminology is for, but this like for an actor it's like this like pedestal because Heath Ledger did such a crazy good job as the Joker and he's sort of become this like, Ooh, well, like who's going to play the next Joker? You have to be yeah. like really iconic and really interesting and have a new take and blah, blah. blah. And it's like, obviously we got the Jared Leader Joker, which is like dumb, but like walking Phoenix is known for being kind of a weirdo too. And it's like, you don't need to cast weirdos as the Joker. I mean, yeah. we have the best voice of the Joker and he could probably play it visually. If you look at like him, Mark Hamill, who's not really a weirdo. As far as we know, yeah, I think it's almost like that the Joker has become a role for a certain type of actor in the way that Lady Macbeth is kind of a role for a woman of a certain age. Like, it's just this, like, it's this become this prestigious role. You're you're right. And it just, it's so weird because like most Batman characters, the Joker is not that great. (laughs) He's a sociopathic clown who kills people. There's not that much more to it. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's, <laughs> he's like John Wayne Gacy, but less interesting. Yeah. So I, I don't, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with all that. I also don't really care. The fact that we were only getting one DC movie this year at the very end of it is fine by me. I'm glad we don't have to keep talking about it, hopefully. But yeah, we're not seeing Aquaman, by the way. Mm, we'll see. No, you can go see Aquaman, but you were going to have to find somebody else to talk about it with. <laughs> All right, all right. Maybe you can send Karen and we'll do a, a swap again. Uh, be funny to get someone who is, you know, not not in into it as we are. Um, but yeah, so that's that's bad. I don't, like you said, it's not. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal is fine. I don't really see him as Bruce Wayne. John Hamm is still there waiting. Once again, make it 3% better. Just restart it, guys. Just well, you could have a You could have a drunken cat play Batman in these movies and it would they would they would be about equal to what they are now it's not the cast that is the problem 
It's the entire concept that these movies are based on that is the problem. Also, this Krypton show is coming out. I guess. They just announced they're making a show that's about Lois Lane and Lex Luthor before Superman shows up. And I'm like, why is DC's play on big TV to make shows not about their characters? <laughs> like, I don't understand. Like, why? Like, Gotham, I mean, is bonkers and, and has reached, like, a parody at this level, which it makes almost worth watching, I think. But, like, that is a dumb concept. And just so, just so, like current dc just like why are you doing this this makes no sense like oh let's make a krypton show about superman but not about superman and then make it even smallville was like let's make a superman, about superman before you superman it's like why especially nowadays with with like the kind of budgets the tv shows can get and the kind of critical acclaim and like you know big eight triple a tv so i've talked about two weeks ago like you can just make a batman show it'll be fine they did it once before right <laughs> right but like <laughs> You can make, I mean, like, the DCCW shows have a lot of issues, especially now, but they, they've, they've been fairly successful on a pretty low-budget network, and they don't, I mean, they look a little goofy, but they don't look terrible. Just make a Batman show on Fox. It's not that bad. <laughs> Just do it. Or don't. Or don't. <laughs> Just stop doing the, like, oh, let's make a, who asked for a Lois Lane and Lex Luthor movie before Superman shows up? Who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why? I don't well, get it's, this, it. it's this idea that any of these characters are strong enough on their own. Yeah. They're not. They're barely good in the ensemble with Superman involved, but they don't work on their own. It's it's just, and I think the, the idea is, and they every once in a while, about every five years, somebody thinks they're the first person to have this idea of like, man, it'd be really expensive to do a Superman show. Yeah, but what if we made it where it was Lois Lane and Clark Kent, but it was more about just them as people and yeah occasionally he goes and does some superman stuff but it's really more about their like relationship working in the daily planet yeah i like that idea then you make a successful television show in the 90s based on that and then <laughs> five ten years later you're like oh man it would be really expensive to do a batman show yeah but what if we did one where it's just like the villains and like a young bruce wayne who's like not batman yet yeah, all right. And now it seems like five or ten years later, like, what if we made a Superman show without Superman? Like, you just keep thinking it's the first time they've had this idea. Ugh. <laughs> so bad. Uh, speaking of milking properties, <laughs> uh, they've recently announced that they're making a... They've announced three novels set in the Firefly universe surrounding the Firefly crew, uh, which will be canon and whatever the version of executive produced for books is by... Joss Whedon. Be still my heart. I'm a little excited for this. I know you are. I know you are because it's <laughs> it combines several things that you love. Firefly, reading, <laughs> and like, you know, that kind of like gotta catch them all canon mentality that you have. Of course, this checks a lot of boxes for you. I do have concerns that, I mean, obviously I hope they're good, which they might not be. Although the Firefly comics that came out were all pretty decent. Even the one that um came out, like the real, like the first kind of like, not just like side stories, like we're going to continue the story a little bit. I wonder if they're going to make it all connected. I think they are because it's all been sort of under Wien's watch. And although I was reading a comment more today about someone was like, why are they doing this? And someone's like, divorce, pr divorce proceedings are expensive. Fair, <laughs> like, uh, fair point. Uh, but um, I, I am surprised because I kind of thought that with the DC buying a Fox, we might see some some movement here for something else. Hmm. Not necessarily a revival or another season or something like that, because that, that ship sailed. 
but something done with this property that so many people like and you know maybe some some maybe some fruit left there but to me this says a signal that maybe, I, mean, I guess hasn't been decided yet i'm just a little worried that i'm just very timid after the star wars expanded universe you know mm-hmm. kerfuffle that i'm going to read these and like them and then you know in five years they're going to say ah, actually we're going to make a new firefly movie and whatever and I, all my dreams and you know enjoyment will be broken <laughs> but they sound kind of, they sound kind of cool like the books kind of sound a little more like pulpy like the, the descriptions were kind of just like the firefly crew gang gets into this situation and it's like okay like I, i'll read that i like the characters the universe is kind of cool in a cliche kind of way but yeah i'm, sh- I'm sure i'll uh i'm sure i'll read them too greg right mm-hmm. you know um <laughs> it sure is great that there's so much media out there that you know people can really read what they want to read <laughs> oh by the way are you still reading la law uh yes i am i i've kind of um I'm a little bit stalled on it, but that's not the book's fault. That's just, you know, me not having a ton of reading time lately. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Uh, the last bit of news I had, unless you had even anything else you wanted to add to the No, the news no, list? no, 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 no. Okay. Uh, that being a dad is time consuming. That's great. Yes, news. yes it is. Uh, have you read Charlotte, her FCS for Cthulhu book yet? Uh, several times. Does she like it? She 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 likes it very much. She slaps the pages with her hands and makes little noises. <laughs> As babies are want to do. <laughs> uh, the last thing I'm, and I, it's not really, it was one of those things where like, I feel like we get a new adaptation announcement every single day. So it's almost like worth commenting on some of them, but they're making a Conan series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As and, in Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, but being played by Conan O'Brien. No, no don't I'm confuse kidding. people. <laughs> that's not that's not accurate although he is big yeah but not in the right direction <laughs> <laughs> um and this is coming from someone who i've never watched any of the conan movies before what yeah i know uh, there's only one that you need to watch i know and another one if you want to have some laughs right i did play the age of conan uh video game of MMO. course you did of course you played the mmo and not watched the classic john milius film damn it <laughs> Uh, I am who I am, man. But which, which like, I, I kind of liked, you know, I kind of got a feel for the flavor and the lore. Some of the movies aren't exactly like paired up with the books or, or whatnot. No, no. Um, and they're writing the books either. Although I've heard they're, they're kind of like kind of a little bit of resurgence and people liking them and being into them. And yes, just, but they were also a product of their time. <laughs> so right. We need yeah. to keep that in mind. <laughs> right. They're, they're, you know, got some gross things in them for sure. But Although I've been hearing not as gross as they're stereotyped to be. Correct. Um, Robert E. Howard's um, contemporary uh, friend of the show, H.P. Lovecraft, was much worse on these regards than than he was. But uh, they're still um, not as woke as as they could be. But, right. you know, four things that were written during that period, they're, they're all right. Right. So... Anyway, they are making a Conan series based on the books, and I'm for some reason I'm blanking on what network it's going to be on. It's M. No, no. It's not a. It, 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 it is. It's a. It's an outlet that can do some stuff. I want to say it's like Stars or Showtime or one of those guys. It's not TBS. It's it's Amazon. It's Amazon. Okay. Um, my bad. So I was thinking about this, and I was kind of like, oh, okay. I kind of like that world. It's kind of goofy, and like I said, kind of cliche, and just. You know, I just, it's like, inspires a lot of metal albums and stuff. Just like anything that has the word like Stygia or like, you know, 
Hyborion or like things like that. I just love those words. Or the band Conan. <laughs> well, I'm thinking more like, uh, oh shit. Man anyway, War. That's, that's a good one too. Um, but anyway, so I, but I was thinking about why I was so excited for this. I, I was thinking about today is that there hasn't really been a fantasy show that's sort of like more of a classic fantasy show, especially more in the adventure sort of fantasy because we've got Game of Thrones, but like, Game of Thrones has some good action scenes, especially some good individual set pieces, but it's not really the point of the show. The show oh, isn't really about we'll adventure. I feel like well. it's kind of shifted, but no, it started out as more of a pl- political drama set in a fantasy universe. Right. Every once in a while, people will get in a sword fight, whatever, fine. But Conan is about Conan going on crazy adventures. Yeah, like killing, you know, like uh, killing giant snakes or like, you know, um, solving a witch's curse by banging her like that's the kind of like high fantasy well no i guess really i mean sword and sandals is the is the term but like it's a lot of like psychedelic weirdness and just like we're gonna go do some cool shit with swords right and you know i can't say that these are good shows but you think back to the last bit of sword and sandals television we have with things like you know hercules and xena and it's like a modern, well-done version of that turned into a triple-A show, I'm actually really into right now. Yeah, I think it can be I think it can be good, and I think they have to balance it right, because actually the in the little press release that went out about it, they were talking a little bit about the angle on the show, that they really want to kind of play up the fish-out-of-water elements, where the Conan character is, he is a barbarian in a civilized world, and he is looked upon by everyone as this kind of oddity and this other. Um, so you're kind of, there's, you know, kind of themes of alienation and, you know, those sorts of things, which I think are a nice twist on the formula um, and gives it a little bit of meat. But I also hope that they don't go too hard into their commentary because I want to see Conan do some awesome stuff with a sword. Um I mean, I don't want it to just be boneheaded action, but I feel like they got to adjust the mix just right. And I don't want this thing to be too much of a think piece. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a time and a place for that. It should be Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> uh, but it, it isn't and or it hasn't been in a little while. Um, but yeah, I, I am. I'm excited. I mean, it, I, I think it's weird that Amazon's like, we're going to make a Lord of the Rings TV show and a Conan show. Not that they're the same thing by any means, because they definitely aren't, but just the fact that they're doubling down on two two shows with swords at all is a weird, you know, a weird <laughs> choice. I mean, everyone's trying to capture the, you know, the, the magic of Game of Thrones, so that, that and, popularity. Or, or Amazon is just to define their target their target market as the D twenty set, and they're trying to see what's going to work with those guys. They do usually have the uh, the best prices for the players' handbooks and things. But. Ah, jeez. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it comes from a guy who's done episodes of Game of Thrones, Fargo, and The Handmaid's Tale, which I watch Fargo, but... Yeah, there's good people attached to it. I, I mean, there's a there's a chance this turns into something cool. Uh, I'm just curious to see what, you know, this in this line of fantasy, everyone trying to sort of fill, fill the gap that Game of Thrones is going to have when it's done, you know, between this new Lord of the Rings show, Conan show... There's been a lot of rumblings the past three or four weeks about the Wheel of Time show finding some legs somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where that will be and how the hell it will ever do that, but it is interesting. Yeah, I um, the casting is going to be real tricky for uh, Conan because um, obviously 
Arnold Schwarzenegger somehow was amazing <laughs> um, because he had to be a huge weirdo. And that's kind of the best role that Arnold Schwarzenegger could play at that time in his career. <laughs> and barely also, talk, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but he also has, a, I mean, like, but Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, not a great actor, but incredibly charismatic, like fun to watch. Um, and finding somebody who has the physicality needed for this role because, you know, you don't want to make it about bodies, but that's part of who Conan is. Like he is like, he represents a physical force in the world. Um, where everyone else is a wizard or a thief. And, you know, he, he represents this physical force. So he needs to have a certain physicality to him. Um, and, but he also has to carry your show. So that's going to be a, a tricky casting decision. And I believe they made a Conan movie with Jason Momoa. Didn't go great. So he's already off the list. <laughs> I forgot they made that movie. Yeah. That just came and went without much comment. Didn't. Yep. <laughs> So I was thinking like, oh, well, they'll probably just cast Jason Momoa. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, this whole, the whole, I, the whole trend of like wrestlers made yeah, actors. Good point. You know, there's a lot, there's been a lot of that and some success there. You know, we've seen it in the past with like, you know, whoever like what Triple H was in, you know, the third Blade movie or something. But, you know, obviously The Rock is the big one, but even um, Batista, you know, with his yep. roles in both Guardians of the Galaxy and then. Uh, and very non-physical role in Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I could see, I mean, I don't know, maybe Batista could do it. Eh, a little too old at this point, yeah, I think. you're probably right about that. But maybe there's somebody else in that in that arena, you know, the squared circle that can uh, could step up and step out and do it. Because, like, obviously those shows are a lot more, wrestling is a lot more based on acting than anything else nowadays, probably. Which is probably why we're getting better actors and not you know stone cold making some direct to dvd you know, movie about whatever <laughs> uh yeah so i'm excited for it i just i just like it's like an itch i didn't know i had until i announced it i'm like yeah i want that yeah and i i kind of would like to see that you know the kind of sword and sandals setting um as opposed to just the you know i i've seen enough of variations on medieval uh England or medieval France. I've seen enough variations on that for a while. Like it would be cool to see, um, you know, again, just the sword and sandal setting that is just kind of, again, carries with it some problematic baggage because it's just this weird caricature of Southeast Asia and Northern Africa. And also, you know, uh, Eastern Asia as well. Why not? Um, you know, so that, you know, has some problems to it. A little bit of Orientalism is in there, and that's not always a great thing. But um, I feel like we can work through some of those issues uh, now and have a setting that feels fresh and interesting and mysterious because mystery and strangeness and weirdness is a big part of what makes that, you know, the Conan setting so cool. And I, I think that we can kind of get there. And, you know, um, I hope they go weird with it. Because again, that's the you know, that's that's when Conan's at its best when it gets weird. Yeah, I think it would be a good a good niche to fill. So hopefully, we'll get more information about that. You know, with all the other millions of shows that are quote unquote in development. <laughs> so, well, I think that just about does it for us. Yeah, I think so. I think you have some homework, though. You need to go watch Conan the Barbarian. Okay. I will uh I will not put that on my Conan the Destroyer. 
Do not okay. watch Conan the Destroyer. I will watch all the Conan movies because you know nope. who I am. Start with the Barbarian. <laughs> I will and, do that. Okay. It do is you know if it's on genu- streaming anywhere? I'm sure it is. It's a but it is a genuinely good action movie with um James Earl Jones is the villain. That is pretty awesome. Yeah, and um the first words out of Arnold Schwarzenegger's mouth in the entire movie, you know, his like weird gladiator like slave master says Conan, what is best in life? And Schwarzenegger says, to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentation of the women. That's the first words he speaks in the movie. It's so good. I have heard that a lot because I go, when I visit my um my good buddy in Pittsburgh, we go to a trivia at like a metal bar, and the trivia host is, is one of the best trivias I've ever gone to. He's really good um, at the Smiling Moose in Pittsburgh for those Pittsburghians <laughs> out there. And uh, he plays that clip every single week Good. and everyone has to have to like, you know, sing along to it, not sing along to it, speak along to it. But and it's awesome. <laughs> There's a scene early in the like the first act of the movie where he gets crucified on, I kid, shit you not, the tree of woe. And then a vulture comes to eat him and he eats the vulture. <laughs> Man, now I'm going to watch this movie tonight. It's so Good. Good. I will watch that then. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, I think that's all I have to say about Conan. Got it. <laughs> all right, buddy. Well, uh, I guess we're going to talk again this week about something, uh, about a real topic, right? Sometime. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. Talk to you later. All right, guy. Have a good week. <laughs>